Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Word Horde, the podcast where we take a word or a phrase and trace its meanings and origins throughout history. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Grabowski, alongside our Sacagawea guide into the linguistical beyond, Mr. Kyle Jones, who is Hello. at the moment looking at all of the different notes that we have over oh, the yeah. course of our uh, our introductory into the wonderful world of Tolkien. You may hear some paper rustling and some coffee sipping. That's just us, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We do this early in the morning, so be patient with us. Kyle, how are you this fine, fantastic morning? Doing great, sir. Just yeah. trying to do all a, uh, just a a systems check of uh, where I'm at mentally, so I think I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the same way. I, uh, I've been extremely cognizant. I was watching The Sopranos yesterday and oh, yeah. uh, just realizing that Tony Soprano, I, I identify with Tony Soprano because he is really trying to do right by his family, trying to do right by his friends. And yeah. emo- emotionally and mentally, emotionally. he needs his, he needs his, his counselor every so often. You know? He needs so. his coffee. Yeah, it's, it's funny real quick. I did a cast party for them no on, a, on a penthouse in Nashville with with Muriel Anderson on guitar. So it was oh, me playing so percussion cool. with her. And I was amongst all of them, and it felt so weird. I felt like I was amongst the mafia. It was, but yeah. I, I, well, I don't know. Maybe I was, you know. Maybe that's a real... <laughs> A real event here, but uh, it was so wild to meet all those guys, and they were all just like uh, just normal, cool people, and you couldn't even tell uh, that it was it was them from right. the show. It just looked like you'd you'd walk right past them. You wouldn't you wouldn't even you probably would not recognize them. Put it that way. Yeah, that's what I was told yeah. is that James Gandolfini is like a very normal stand-up yeah. chill dude from from all accounts and he nothing yeah. like his character so that mm-hmm. was a, that's a little bit of a relief to hear um yeah, but we're yeah, not really we're talking about too much about tony yeah. soprano as much as we're talking <laughs> although his uh his dialect is interesting i will say that in terms of from from simply from a linguistical perspective but we're yeah. actually going to be talking today uh finishing up kind of our our, our study on Tolkien before we study Tolkien. So do you want to kind of tell the audience where we left off, what uh, in our last episode, all that good stuff? Yeah, and that's what I was looking to notice. I was just trying to to see. We had covered a lot of allegory about the, you know, the allegory to to speak to the other group, and I'm going into uh, uh, courtly love. I'm I'm just kind of looking back at some things. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked at another word too. This is something else. Uh, uh, they were, you know, the the love that was taking them out of the of the courtly love or the um, amor courtois um, was the uh, amore. You know, j- just straight out amore, which is the when the, the love. Hits your eye like a big pizza pie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and, and that's exactly right. And 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 definitively, that is what eros could have been. Uh, eros could have been. Um, uh, amore in one sense because uh, eros goes into the eye, and so I think that uh, you know, speaking to uh, uh, Dr. Flieger on this, uh, she was a Tolkien scholar, of course, and a little bit about amore as well. Um, we we hit this uh, topic of well, what is amore? Um, mm. And what are the loves that uh, we're we're talking about here that both save and condemn us in the courtly love system? Now I might be going off off uh, you know chart here for a second, but I might want to define what they had and what they did not have. Yeah, let's uh, define more, that. So courtois, of course, means the court courtesy, or you might get that. The show polity within the court system, um, and then where the church, either Anglican or Roman, um, 
you know, how that they uh, assigned with the body politic who was to be married, who was to be assigned uh, a good move per se, mm. a good chess move within the within the marriages of the of the youth. Uh, that was a sign, and so uh, there was nothing to be said about that. <clears throat> but Amore would have brought them to their very death against that um, in terms of, I love this person. And of course, Tr- Tristan and Isolde is probably one of the greatest stories uh, about that. Um, and matter of fact, most people think that that was the uh, the origin of the cycles of King Arthur. So Really? Uh, very, that makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So... Um, uh, so that kind of uh, concept, that tension about no matter what the court says, no matter what the church says, I'm in love with you. Um, and there was definitely uh, an amore uh, or eros um, when when they took, when Tristan and Isolde took of the love potion. So they, they instantaneously, they saw and then they loved. Well, as we go back to the Cratylus theme um, in Plato concerning eros, what does it mean? Well, it means a from the outside uh, Rus, the river to flow into, sure. and so, and so Plato said, well, the the proper term would it would be in the Greek, ace Rus, which means <coughs> to go from the outside to flow in, and then to uh, to cause turbulence. Um, now Rus Ru. Uh, was a word which meant to ruin, to go to one's ruin, but to properly ruin. Now, and then, so we go to Dr. Owen Barfield's work, Poetic Diction, and he right. did his his doctoral thesis. Well, it's actually in Oxford. It's a bachelor's um, or undergraduate work leads to the doctoral work, uh, but his work was in, his thesis was in uh, ruin. What does it mean? Um, mm. And it means to flow to destruction, but can it can be a good destruction so if eros is uh, appropriated correctly and gamos or gamos then we have a proper destruction of two people um so there's a, a, an impassioned sense for one another contained under under the umbrella uh, umbrella of gamos which is marriage now this is what I'm, I'm going to say. What I don't believe, well, even C.S. Lewis did not bring this up in his four loves. There is another love. And so we have agape. You know what that means? Mm-hmm. That means it's a godly an, love. It's, it's, a, it's a godly love, but, it, but it's also impersonal. So in one sense, it can be categorized almost like eros um, it, because it's not necessarily personal. It's It's giving to somebody to your own death, even if you don't know them. Or maybe you do, right? Mm. So it's it's not categorized as like, I, I have an affection for you. Uh, eros is the same. Uh, it just means object, a love, and passion with. Uh, and you get philos, which means, of course, affection with. And storge, a common, you know what? A common uh, courtesy, really. Uh, truthfully, courtesy might be the better word for it. But if an old lady is walking across the street, or old man, or, or somebody sure. who's, you know, and you help them across the street, you know, you, that's just what C.S. Lewis defined it as. So, that's agape. Ga- so there's three more, there's three well, more no, that he, he defines. That's storge. That's not agape. Oh, sorry. And, yeah, I'm so sorry. Yep. Yeah. So you're, you're doing something <clears throat> that's just a, a good help, a good 
a, a courtesy. Agape, agapeo, or uh, it means to to do something to even your own death, your own hurt. So if you're gonna, you can help somebody, but to your own hurt. Uh, Jesus gave agape love. He paid the ultimate price. That's the, the that's he really defined what agape meant. Um, but then there's a, a fifth love, gamos, which you don't hear a lot about, which is really in a sense, missing uh, in the stories of the troubadours and the stories of the of the you know the fairy queen, etc. Gamos, it means to join together. It means it's the marriage, and mm. under that umbrella, uh, under that um, umbrella, you can have all the other loves, and they will appro- be appropriated correctly. That's the love that God has for us, husband to wife. And I've, I've often said, if we can understand that type of love for, and, and put it from that worldview, that perspective, that God, God-centric view, we can understand the Bible. This is a marriage contract. God is talking to his beloved. He's not talking to chattel. He's not talking to an objective, you know, erotic, uh, you know, mm. thing. Uh, he's not just having common affection for us. Uh, he did die for us, but why? Because he loves us as his, his, you know, our husband. We are his wife. So under under that umbrella of gamos love, all the others will fit, and and that means even the eros, which which is that passioned love, that will take us to the cross. And I wow. think that 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 definitively gives us what eros really means. So, um, and, and that's you're, what we, you're talking like C.S. Lewis has four of those loves. You're thinking there's another fifth one, which is that, is that what you're Gamos, saying? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah. that, that's, that, that completes, sense. that completes what, uh, we don't find in the Amore, uh, the stories. Yeah, cause, it, I, Cause it really isn't a transition or a gradient, is it? It's its own thing when you're defining oh. it as it's, as that it is its own, its own beast. So. Yeah, that's yeah. that's right, and uh, so but anyway, it it, it sums up all that awesome. and puts them in proper category, you know. I love so, that. that's, so uh, that's that's the, when we left off, we were talking about the provincial troubadour, um, mm-hmm. Gearholt, if I remember correctly. And yeah. I, what was his uh What was his deal? Because we were talking about how he kind of understood stood love. There were two different um, let me see if I remember this. <laughs> there were two different like traditions. And mm-hmm. he synthesized those two different traditions. Um, yeah. Can we can we talk a little bit about that? Because that was right at the very last second of the end of the episode. Yeah, well, yeah. And did, did we cover M- Muro the mouth, the uh, the miming mimicry? I'm not quite sure. Not not uh, too much. No, we touched we touched on it. Like I said, it's the very the last like five ten minutes of the last episode, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. If you want to go back there. Um, right. And. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Okay. Let's. Which one do you want to talk about? Because I'll let's definitely. Talk, let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about Gearhold. Good old Gearhold at the end of the 12th century. Okay. So what we have right here says, and I'm just going to write it real quickly to the audience because we. Uh, there's a few things that led to to me saying this, and I think that. Uh, um, that yeah. Might context be, is clutch. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm going to look here. So as an added history, it was a provincial troubadour, Gerhard de Bournay, which flourished in uh, in the middle uh, to end of the 12th century. He epitomized the troubadour ideal. But Bournay synthesized the two traditions, the understanding of love in the following way. But Bournay proclaimed that love is born of the eyes and the heart. Uh, the eyes are the scouts of the heart. They are looking for an appropriate object, uh, object of beauty. That is to say, they, they are selective. This is discriminative. This is elite. This is a person. 
personal choice. Uh, and having found their image, the eyes recommend that images to the heart, uh, not not to just any heart, but to the noble heart, um, the, the gentle heart, the heart capable of love. This is not a case of sheer lust. Uh, <clears throat> when these three meet, that is, the, the two eyes and the one heart in accord, love is born. Love is born of the eyes and the heart. Um, th that is an individual experience. The eyes quest uh, in the outer world for the object of inspiration, and the heart receives the image, uh, and this uh, this image then becomes the idol of individual devotion. So, <clears throat> I, very, I just that sounds very Star Wars, if you remember where that's Anakin's whole fall is, you know, uh, attachment is forbidden for that exact mm -hmm. reason, and yeah. individual devotion is a different is a different beast than, yeah. than other forms. So yeah, so, and, and yeah. Go ahead. I'm listening. No, 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 that's all. That's all I was gonna say was that 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 <laughs> that, 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 I, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Especially being newly married, just the difference of individual devotion versus like a a love of of God and country and others. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Well, I, I I I what I was saying was I think there's a little bit that's missed, and and I think whenever you you mention him. In the paper that we wrote, uh, you know, that uh, it's he's going against the idea of what Gamos is. He's defining Gamos. love, but he's putting the, the cart before the horse. Mm. You know, G Gamos is a joining of all of these things. So, and and yeah. that takes time. And being married for uh, a, a decade now and having a previous marriage of about 13 years, um, you know, even in your <laughs> with your ex-wife, there's a process of a type of love, a type yeah. of care and concern uh, that one gets in in distance, in time, um, and you join, you you create bonds, uh, no matter what, no matter if you go apart or, or grow together. Um, and I think that that's uh, that's again a, a misplacement of of what love means in the ultimate sense. So whenever he's giving this thesis about what love is, he doesn't go much further than that. And it's the journey. And again, just like the whole theological doctrine of coming to be, uh, and also the ontological argument about coming to be and the fullness receptacle, uh, I think that once again, you're we're coming to be into the likeness uh, as mm -hmm. the full body of, of, of the wife of Christ. Um, and so I, that's my point is that uh, that love is not complete uh by by his thesis um and, and furthermore really when you when you're looking at something you know and he, as he mentions it's a, it's, and this and this image then becomes the idol of individual devotion uh, already imago you're 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 establishing an, an idea and in an idol of individual devotion i'm not trying to get to theologically again i'm not trying to go theologically against him but what i'm trying to say uh, is that uh, is it idiolatria? This the word idol in Greek. It means that which you see, you serve. I, mm. I think that that again uh, call, calls for the word idiotes or idiotake. This means whatever you see, you serve, um, and that might make you a good husband if you are technically. I don't mean stupid, brute, but I mean idiotake. It means you see, you serve. Technically, the word idiot. It means that's right. all I can see. Now I don't Mindless have a problem drone. with it. Yeah, yeah. Huge I don't, you know, that holds many societies together, <laughs> you know, uh, in some ways, but in some ways it doesn't. But well, yes, if you want equality, right. that is the opposite of what we should strive for. You know, we Amen. can't be mindless brutes. And, and I feel like that's a, we could get into a whole conversation about how the, the degradation of the male in modern society and how we, we don't want to. Uh, true equality is a different story. It's not just letting the woman run things and it's not letting the man run things. There is an equality. There is a synergy between the two 
different halves of the distinct whole. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what that's that's the big difference there. So gamos is kind of directly relates to that because it is talking about an individual and those those individual quirks of the two individuals <laughs> they come out yeah. within gamos. Is that basically that's basically one of our theses is yeah. that it's he has it completely wrong. I, I think so. I think that I think that that's what it is. I mean, I think he's defining his idea at his time what that might have meant. But see, they they were referring to their to from their era, and so they were in one way reacting uh, to the the uh, the the courtois, you know, amore. They were reacting to that. They were reacting to amore as mm. as eros. So when you're dealing with eros re- response reaction, and you're dealing with courtois. MRA and response reaction really in, in one sense reaction you're sure. not getting the fullness you're not getting sure. the fullness of meaning uh which is our the whole theme the behind whole, our the whole theme behind our podcast well yeah. getting, winding it back away to the, to the beginning of this conversation just just because for myself to kind of wrap up that that idea um you're you're basically saying c.s lewis was in this idea this camp of uh humankind reaching out to the higher idea and and god by uh with uh it's not fantasy as we defined it last episode correct mm-hmm. it's it's more it's a, it's not a uh mm-hmm. suspension of the primary reality mm-hmm. uh he the c.s lewis and and gamos they're both tethering love to an individual in the primary in the in the world can that mm-hmm. can so that's by that definition are you saying that gamos and agape they have to be distinctly different or do we do we have gamos for god because he is because of the hypostatic union and and we have God and man are can we ever reach out to God in that same way because you're saying he's the husband and the wife so I'm 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 finding that discrepancy I'm wondering what where where are we drawing those lines okay so uh, again ask me the question because there's a lot of good stuff in there but uh, wh- what are you asking me I guess what I'm saying is we w- when we're defining gammas right we're, we're talking about an individual a, a love for one individual to another that is very distinct very intimate um, and you're also saying that God and humanity have that relationship. Is that mm-hmm. am I correct so far? Okay, so right. So Jesus is both human and divine. So at mm-hmm. what point does that agape love for that God has for us switch to gamos love that Jesus and 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 our we as His bride share? Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, you know, obviously. Obviously, whenever we read Ephesians chapter one verse four, and uh, and then again in Ephesians one verse fifteen, Romans eight twenty eight, you know, but especially for Ephesians, what what a good uh, passage! It says that God foreknew us uh, and ordained us and knew us, prognoskus. That meant gamos to to noia us. It means to have a sexual congress with, and so. it, it very much can. So we were already in the bed, marriage bed, uh, with God before the foundation of the world. Mm. Um, and that we were ordained uh, to come into this life and reel out this narrative. So in that sense, we are fulfilling in the flesh something that the, the immortal uh, could not. In uh, mm. that one sense, we are reeling out the narration. We are in the being up there or over there. 
But we are reeling out a coming to be and the sufferance uh, of all of these loves under the canopy of Gamos. And I think that's the purification mm. uh, process. I love the uh, 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 Dr. Uh, Anita Diamond, who wrote The, the Jewish Wedding. Uh, she also wrote The Red Tent. She was probably the greatest scholar on, on women of the ancient Near East. Mm. Uh, and, and she discussed uh, the paganism uh, that was practiced um, by the, the wives of Abraham and Isaac and uh, and all of that, and it's very interesting that they allowed it. Um, that, that they they had their fertility goddesses, etc. And they, yeah, the, they the whole mandrake root passage and all that. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good point. Yeah. I forgot about that. That was that was all over in the in the red tent over there outside of the camp, and it mm-hmm. was allowed. So the the women did their thing. They grew up in their own way to be midwives. They understood the childbirthing process. They 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 were they were naturalists, so they were accepted and allowed. But they were over there. But in Anyway, my point being is Anita uh, uh, wrote uh, that tr- a tremendous work, The Jewish Wedding, that goes on for seven days, and there's such a process, such a symbolic, uh, allegorical <laughs> process mm. uh, of, the, of the wedding. And, and this is an example of something concerning allegory. We are feeling the distance between us and the heavenlies if we understand the allegory and i think there's a tremendous you know need or there was for sure uh to to the jews in their day to practice allegory so i don't have a problem even from from if it's only that to say that allegory is important and i think that allegory is different from fantasy mostly in this way allegory is a language uh using a metalogue that goes from here to over there. It's a language from out there to here, back and forth. So you feel the distance. Fantasy is based on being there in a, sus- a suspended a primary world to a secondary world, where the suspension is the, the world of realities uh, in the, the, cold, the world of cold metrics. And so we're dealing with uh, 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 what they call an instantaneous reality uh, being met with uh, fant- you know, fantasies, fant- mm. fantastic beings uh, that can guide and lead us and we can fly with the fairies and, we- and mushrooms can grow to the size of, of whatever. But they're not called mushrooms, they're called something else. And, sure, uh, sure. And, and the sun is green, but it's not called the sun. So all of this collective... <clears throat> consciousness in a fantastic sense uh, we our references are to that so this that's why it's called an inner consistency of reality and that's what Tolkien created he wanted that world uh, so he could show the sub-creation he wanted to be a son of God therefore to create as a son of God a sub-creator and so that was what he called pure Art. He thought that was the holiest, mm. most pure form of art that one could practice is the is to be in the Imago Dei, um, creating that. So in that sense, there was nothing wrong with that, right? It's just sure, like playing sure. jazz, jazz music. So what? So I'm uh, and I'm creating out of my own world. We're creating another animal that never existed before, uh, an alien beauty. It's gorgeous. So good. That doesn't mean I've got to go over there and hate you know allegory that the Jews <laughs> practiced. So right. I, I just I feel like that that, that that there doesn't need to be a conflict at yeah. all. Uh, and as a child of God, I think we children of God, all of us, I think we should be able to enjoy both and yeah. uh, and not not definitely. be and, and definitely not be uh, an, an us and them 
uh, type thing, you know, again, that's yeah. what's dividing, that's what's dividing uh, our entire society, even on that level, you know, it's not I and thou, it's, it's us, we are in the same sure. camp, sure. and uh, there you oh go. Oh my gosh, we could have a whole conversation about how that's so divisive, we just want to, mm-hmm. we just want to segment off into different, into different groups and things, so, yeah, I hear yeah. that, I hear that, there's, a, there's, that's, that's a, what, that's the difference between equality and, and uh, <laughs> inequality, that's how inequality starts, is by saying, well, we're not those, we're not part of the same whole. In, yeah. Instead of celebrating our differences and talking about them and uh, willing to yeah. realize that God made us, you know, unique and beautiful. And, I, I, I think it's it's funny, you know, it's it's like if you're talking, let's just say you're you're a calculus, let's say that you we are a calculus equation and, and we're able to talk. I'm being a little bit abstract here, but let, let's say that the calculus um, uh, equation um, is arguing with uh, p- part of itself. You know, you're, you're arguing with part of the formula, and you yourself are the entire qu- equation that which you which you argue against, and so it's it's to me it's like that you you can't argue your argue yourself out of your own equation. Right, right, that makes sense. I love it. Do you think that uh, do you think that Tolkien had that same issue? Because you see that you see that he is drawing lines even early on in his own work. Uh, with mm-hmm. the elves and the dwarves and the men, but they're forced to get along and realize they're all part of Middle Earth. Is that anywhere? Am I am I barking up a tree that is non-existent, or is that yeah. a similar thought? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're doing it right. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn back to uh, to 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 Flieger. Um, there's a few other people. Uh, Zaleski wrote a book, uh, but well, actually, the two, the the couple, I believe, uh, they wrote a book on the Inklings, and uh, we're talking about the the conflicts. Um, most of the inklings in their, and I hate to say this, but in their ego said, we learn nothing getting together. And that's a harsh statement to make. They would get together every week. I think it was on a Thursday. Um, and they would discuss their, their works and they would you know, criticize one another. Um, but, uh, and uh, I think it was one of the lesser, and I say lesser inklings, but he was one of the the, the younger uh, younger inklings that didn't. You don't ever hear his name, and I hate to say it, I forgot his name, but he said that, that most of them simply claimed that they didn't learn anything from the other inkling, um, but they got together and somehow or another they criticized one another, and I mean critiqued uh, their works. And so I think, how can you critique somebody's work and not learn anything from them? I know. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, it's called ego. I, 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 I love guess. them. I love them. Uh, and they're, they're, they're men of great stature. Uh, but I think that it has to do with that. And the I mean, and, critique is evolution. My gosh. Mm-hmm. You uh-huh. would, you would think so. Um, but, uh, that, that was what I've read and I've heard that before to some other great scholars. Uh, and, uh, I have the, the words to, uh, to, to send to anybody who would, uh, would uh, like to argue against that. But that, that, mm. uh, was what was said. So I think that, um, oh, and, and uh, funny uh, statement, but, but Owen Barfield, the man. Now, here's another example. But uh, C.S. Lewis said Barfield taught him how to think. Hmm. Now he said that's the man who taught him how to think. Yet Barfield uh, later on, he was the last of the Inklings who passed away. I think back in the '90s, uh, the oldest of the Inklings. Uh, he um, he was asked a question about C.S. Lewis. You know. Um, um, you know, did did uh, did he ever learn from you? Did you learn? You know, because he said that, and 
they you know, the response was from an interviewer that uh, um, excuse me it was a, the response was from Barfield in this interview right. that Barfield laughed and he says how can you teach C.S. Lewis anything? Wow, <laughs> why? Because he's just so he's just so stubborn, or is that what it is, or is it? I, I, th- I think I think that there was a little bit of a hidden slap at yeah. the same time a hidden compliment. And yeah. uh, you know, these men are just the, the, the brilliance. I, you know, again, between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, are, uh, uh, they're, they're both such great minds. And I think they were so different. I, I think that, that, yes. that, that Tolkien was allowed to saturate uh, in linguistics morphology that he just grew as a tree and i think his branches grew underground and above and that's why he uh, identified with the ants so much um Mm -hmm. whereas c.s lewis was just a a brilliant wit uh what a brilliant mind that could just cover so much material in such a, a, a small amount of time that he was allowed to to cover so many topics and uh, and talk about them in depth but not be necessarily grounded here or there that it might have maybe i don't know bothered tolkien because tolkien was as the tree it took a long time to speak about mm. something those though tolkien spoke he fast he actually stuttered i was arguing about with flieger about uh, uh that too uh, tolkien did stutter and it was not because he had a, a physical affliction it was because his mind was so brilliant uh, and there was such electricity it was a forest fire going on a lightning sure. storm in his brain sure. but he was trying to get out one word at a time and it's impossible and and um and I, I definitely do not equate myself with Tolkien, but for decades that was me. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. get out words. I stuttered because I wanted to emote so many things uh, all at the same time. And guess what? You've got one mouth, one hole, and one word at a time comes out of it. And I wasn't, I wasn't having it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think in addition to that, I, I think Tolkien is. I mean, now there were, now this is a comparison and contrast, right? We're just looking at Tolkien mm-hmm. and C.S. Lewis and their relationship yeah. at this moment, but. Uh, one thing that you had told me that I thought was a really good point was that uh, Tolkien is the one that tries, he has it enough, he has his faith grounded enough, and he's grounded enough in linguistics and understanding mm-hmm. the roots of everything, like you're saying, to where he can take Christian ideals and yeah. uh, and the ideas of Christianity and exercise them in a place that isn't at all... Um, that isn't at all grounded in reality, right? He is, right. He's, and he knows. And like you said uh, to me, he uh, he'll ground them in a place completely, <laughs> completely away from it, and yet they still operate the same, you know? Absolutely, ideas. yeah. So. I, 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 again, that, that inner consistency of reality. He believed in the, the the machination of the logos, and so it didn't matter where you went and how you placed logos, it was going to work. So that was his faith, and and uh, again, Tolkien. Uh, considered himself a fantasy writer. He considered himself a, a believer, a Christian, and 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 a Roman Catholic. So he di- he distinguished those, uh, and I thought that was very interesting that he would distinguish those. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that he was recognized for is being an extra or hyper Christian 
uh, believer, uh, which meant that he was he extended himself to that world of mm. fantasy through his belief, sure. which meant it was extra biblical, extra Christian. Um, whereas he was having in the end of his life a real hard time with his faith. Now, I do not believe he was having a hard time with his faith. Uh, in the practice of logos, and that was our point. And I think this might be the greatest ending point for our our thing, our 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 podcast today. Tolkien did; he was questioning his Roman Catholicism, and yeah. I think that that was very mis misquoted. Um, he loved the images, the icons, and those things that he could use to launch, to even shoot through, and kind of like the, the, the Joseph Campbell thing, sure. you know, you, you shoot through the image into another, into the idea, this can the, the metaphor. Um, but um, Tolkien was was really struggling with his faith, and I believe it was not had nothing to do with the logos, the cons the laws of consistency of the Christ figure in his writings, because he wrote till the very end of his days, uh, uh, just enamored and wrapped uh, in this logos idea that collocated everything. Uh, of in the in the linguistic world yeah. uh, to Gosh. his writing, so I think that he pretty much reconstructed the biblical story, uh, the, the the narrations I think from from Genesis at least to um, King David. Sure. Uh, and if you want to get down to it, you could definitely draw. I think the allegories of the Christ figures, but for sure the blessing of King David uh, from from Genesis. That was, one thing, that was one thing that I was talking about with uh, with my buddy because I was mm -hmm. telling him that we're getting this podcast, you know, with a series three. By the time you guys hear this, ladies and gentlemen, we've we've been like three or four episodes in here at this point. You're mm -hmm. like, oh, we're towards back. And um, but I was telling him about our kind of our our topic for this first couple months here, and he was pointing out that there is a profound difference, and I thought this was so fascinating. A profound difference between Tolkien and someone like George R. R. Martin who is also yeah. well-regarded in the fantasy realm. Oh, yeah. There's, like, no comparison. Oh, yeah. It's, like, night and day. And I love George R.R. R. Martin, but he draws from Vietnam and his own experience versus Tolkien is drawing from, like you're saying, Roman Catholicism, English mysticism, uh, ev ev like, everything <laughs> everything in the yeah. kitchen sink. And there's just so, yeah. so much more of a wealth and an undercurrent, whereas from what I see in Martin, he, he kind of is just drawing from Tolkien and his own personal experience. And most yeah, fantasy writers yeah. are. Yeah, and he's a, he's a, a very lesser than Tolkien, uh, and, and you know you can get caught up in that. It, it to me, it's a world of fiction um, more than it is anything else. You could say fantasy, but then again, once again, it is, I think what is fantasy? That, that, yeah, we didn't well, we defined well, it differently. Monsters and the critics. The, the yeah. lectures at Oxford University would have 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 disruled, misruled uh, uh, George Martin as being out. He would have dismissed him right. as not being a, a fantasy because, again, he's using allegory. He is yep. relating to something in the common primary world. Yep. Um, number one, uh, number two is pornographic, and mm -hmm. and he was, and that was something else too uh, that Tolkien was not about. He was about aesthetically arresting you. He wanted you to be arrested or to be enchanted, uh, and that is something that, um, that that Martin did not do. He was in a he, I, you know, he, he just simply wrote uh, to arouse the, uh, the the feelings of the of the body, and uh, that was 
again, that's that that would be one check mark against him right there. Uh, I think that of, that's that's the case for a lot of modern fantasy is we want they're 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 grounded in the senses much more so than Tolkien is. Like even mm-hmm. even J.R.R. excuse me, J.K. Rowling, I, I would say even though she is a fantasy writer, like like you're saying, she doesn't ground it in. She grounds it very firmly in reality in a lot of ways. Well, um, it, it, you, you keep this in mind now. We, we discussed this a little bit. She she writes about fantasy, but she mixes magic in there. And if and if you uh, if you remember, we were talking about magic. Yeah, is it, it's uh, once again the second you get into that world, you have to exclude yourself from fantasy writing. Yep. 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 Yeah. So, so because because it, in the fantasy world, you're, what is magic? It's not magic. The whole thing is enchantment. There is no ma- magic is something that you wield uh, and, and wielding is by either a human or by something that's a, a fictional character. Uh, but in fantasy, it just is. It's just done. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. Is there any before we get into uh, Beowulf and all that stuff for next episode? Is there anything that we're uh, you want to touch on as a final, like looking at the background of Tolkien and how fantasy is defined? His difference from allegory, we talked about that, how there is there is a, a profound difference when, when Tolkien says allegoric, he, he dislikes allegory wherever he smells it. We kind of uh, looked at that sentence from every angle trying to unpack what that meant to him. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we did mm-hmm. that pretty successfully. But is there any, any yeah. final thoughts on this, Kyle, that you wanted to touch on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would uh, for everybody that's listening, I would go back and listen to um, what we discussed in terms of the points of, of fantasy to show what, what cannot be accepted in the fanta- the world of the fantastic in, mm-hmm. in that secondary world, I would definitely go back and and let Tolkien, you know, through his genius, through through his writings, through what the poesis or the poetry and even the roots of his the flowing of his writing uh, show you. And I should say, go back and listen to what we said. Mm. Uh, but his what he used in his writings showed him what he could not use, and so he didn't just say, "Well, we can't use this. We can't just use that. We can't." He didn't create these rules. He let the logos teach him what is good fantasy. And I, I, I think sure. this is the the real point here. This is where logos allows for him to write fantasy. And I think that that's such a mystical union right there where Logos shaped the world of fantasy for Tolkien yeah. and where and where Tolkien said in the amoral sense of the word sin, what is sin and what mm-hmm. is not, mm-hmm. what is accepted in the world of the, of the secondary world of fantasy, pure fantasy, pure arresting enchantment fa- fantasy and what is not allowed. It's closer to heaven uh, in the art form than anything else he thought. And yeah, um, and so there's nothing that could could corrupt it uh, in its pure form. And so the, the pornography of Martin uh, would have not been accepted. So and when, I, I, when you say pornography, it, it's very important to p- point out what we're talking about when mm-hmm, we're defining right. it. So could we could we mm-hmm. talk about that in terms yeah. of? It's more mm-hmm. appealing to the there. There are fleshly elements. You wouldn't say the whole thing is pornographic just because there are scenes, but you would <laughs> say that it is focused. There is a difference in focus. Is that correct? The, what, what I mean by pornography, and I know, and I apologize for those who do not understand what I'm talking about. Uh, pornography, I, I'm referring to the uh, Thomas, uh, uh, James Joyce, Thomas Aquinian, and even Umberto Eco's model for what pornography means. Pornography means anything 
Let me put it this way. If you're watching a commercial, all right, and you're seeing an old lady in a rocking chair in front of a, of a fireplace uh, with a cat, soft cat, you know, just laying in her lap, and she's got some tea and crumpets in, in, in this Lipton tea, right? She's drinking Lipton tea. Um, that is pornography, and it's damnable. And some people laugh, and you go, why? Well, she's drinking Lipton tea, and I want to have some Lipton tea now. Uh, and, oh, what a great feeling that is. It must be wonderful to be in this position. So I want to be over there versus here. So you've already desired something. Now, right. it has nothing to do with sexuality. But what it did is it motivated your senses to act. Yep. Okay. Um, another example would be, uh, you know, hardcore metal. You know, you, 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 I don't play hardcore metal when I'm driving home from work. Uh, and then I get home, I'll, you know, I want to chase the kids around with a baseball bat. I might be laughing, but I'm feeling something else. You know, so you, I'm, dri I'm driven. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm driven. I'm driven, you know. And so, sure. again, uh, it might be comical, but it might be uh, But intense. it drives the senses as opposed to drives the mind is what you're saying. It, 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 well. No, I, it close. But what Tolkien was getting, and once again, you got to go back to Monsters and Critics. What he's saying is, in the world of fantasy, in the world of pure ascetic arrest, you are the the one being dreamt. So you're completely out of control. You you see as they see through you. Right. And so you are caught up. There is no covetousness. There is no anger. There is no desire. There is no sadness. There is no lust. There is no greed. You are caught up without movement. That, and it's you, so fascinating because that is such a human element that we, we, we deem, if we are not feeling or sensing in this in this. The, the, our current postmodern culture we're feeling mm -hmm. and sensing is everything. Um, if we're not feeling or sensing, we're not living. But there's so much more to the human existence than that. It isn't, you're not a mindless automaton simply, simply because no. you, you don't have those feelings going on as much. Yeah. You know, Tolkien is anything but like a sexless, emotionless, vapid, yeah. <laughs> like, right. a, you know, robot. But he does have, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't have the Martin, uh, I don't know. Uh, the touch. Fle fleshly touch, yeah, I guess is the best way to say. That's a really uh -huh. good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I didn't know if you're going to continue. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. So I, I would just, I would give the the audience a, a reference. Um, there's a beautiful, brilliant book called "The Aesthetics of Chaosmos" by Umberto Eco, and he goes into the model of pure uh, ascetic arrest. Uh, it's not a not a lengthy book, but it's a very rich, thick book. Mm. So if anybody wants to get this book, he'll discuss the the Thomas Aquinian model for it uh, and the James Joycean model for yeah. uh, aesthetic arrest. Love so it's so you would like you you want to get that book? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll put the link in the description below. So for mm -hmm. for uh, for anybody that is interested in that, just check yeah. our check the description of this particular episode, and we'll link yeah. to it because that yeah. I would want to read that myself. Awesome. Well, Kyle, yeah. it's been a joy getting uh getting Absolutely. the introductory all the different introductory backgrounds um to tolkien yeah uh, next week ladies and gentlemen we're going to kind of delve into tolkien's approach if i recall to uh beowulf is that is that basically where we're starting or where, where are we going kyle i i, I don't know uh and, and probably well i i would i would like to look at i know we haven't discussed this and i don't think it's time to do it right now i would like to to, to finish off for next week Probably the word, um, the unspoken word, muo, and, and the only oh, reason why I'm saying right. that we forgot about, it's on here. It's on here, and I, I haven't crossed it off. That's right. 
Yeah, because uh, sometimes we get we get excited, and I absolutely understand that. I think we jump uh, to track on some of these uh, things, but I wanted to to, to lead that into ah. uh, the the idea of the gamos, the logos, because here we have the elements, the essentials. Now look of God Himself. So in Logos's writing, we in one sense we have a Levitar, which is the will, right? The willer mm-hmm. of 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 all things. He is the father of. Uh, he's Father God. Iluvatar means that, and it also, uh, in in certain etymologies and from certain cultures, would have meant the God of the waters. Now, I believe it means God Father, so I'm going to say in the patristic sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I do not mean to be sexist. I'm not trying to be whatever, because you do have goddesses within Tolkien's work. So, uh, so there. But uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, you do have Iluvatar, who brought forth. The spoken word who brought all things into existence. His name was what? Ea. Okay. So that Ya or Ya, Ea, same word. I mean, in that sense, I think Tolkien was not jumping too far um, in his uh, his Semitic. Uh, concept of, uh, or understanding of who the Logos was in the, the Semitic name. Mm. Ea, Ya, to cause, to be, to continue, uh, to, to, to uh, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> So we have a Luvatar who, who called all things into uh, to, to the will, but he called out through his voice, it's Koraleth in the Hebrew, but his, he called out Ea. Ea was the word, the Logos. Um, and it was Ea who called all things into order. And it was the Muo that I think we should discuss um, that, we've, uh, that, that I will show where we can find it an allegory, at least, that's once again going back and applicable to Tolkien's work. Muo would have been the Holy Spirit. Mm. Because Muo, though it means spoken word or word, <clears throat> mouth, mouth, it also is where we get the word mime, mimicry, miste, <clears throat> mysterion. And it means to, to mimic, to mime the bigger word. So you're not just saying a word. That's what causes us to stutter or the greater minds to stutter like Tolkien. So he said, let me blah, you know, and there you go. That's 5,000 words. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the muo, the miste. I love that. And so... Uh, we can maybe hit that, you know, next week. Yeah, let's talk about that again because that's uh, that that goes right into uh, Numenestos, God breathed, you know, all Newman. scripture, and, and that's yeah, you can you can really see it from there. So that's uh, awesome. Can't well, believe I the, went over that. <laughs> well, the, and the, and that is the reason why we called the Phil Kagan and I called our album Newman. Yeah. Uh, for, for that, for that very reason, uh, and it also means God's acknowledgement. By the way, without without saying, "Hey, good job, kid." Yeah. Um, it, it means that acknowledgement, the acknowledging of the God, um, which without word, but you sense it. And so that, that's the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the mm. Paracletos. So, yes, you got it right. The Numenus. Newman. So, yeah. I wonder it. if that's, I, I mean, I, I know that Larry David is smart enough to do this, but I wonder if when Jerry Seinfeld's like, hello, Newman, maybe that's, there's a, there's element to that. 
I don't know. If it's, <laughs> but I feel like he's always like the the you know God, God is stepping in to mess up Jerry's life in some small way. Yeah. Well. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's more of the devil in a in a, in a, right. a comical way, uh, right. but uh, but for sure so, well, something. I don't know. I'd like to see that. I'd like yeah. to find out. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Kyle, as always, it's it's a privilege uh, getting to sit with you every Tuesday morning and you too, uh, bro. And unpack too. stuff. So. Yeah, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, if you like yeah. this podcast and all the other podcasts, you can follow us on uh, Word Horde right here. Just click that follow button if you're on Spotify or that plus sign if you're on Apple Podcasts. You know the drill. Um, mm-hmm. Also, check out our other podcast, Word Horde Addendum. If you probably typed in Word Horde for the first time, you may have seen two different ones. That's the podcast where we have all of our interviews and we are continuously adding to that. Not so much as. Uh, our weekly podcast, which we update weekly, that's kind of as we feel led, uh, people that we love, people that we are fascinated by, um, mm-hmm. kind of a long form interview format for that side where we get to uh, we get to kind of unpack ideas for hours on end sometimes with people. Also a couple songs on there, you know, we're, we're both uh, musicians, we have friends with a... Uh, we were friends with a lot of different people, so if you mm-hmm. want to check out with that, there's a lot of different things you can see on that podcast. Also, uh, our uh, website, Fullness of Meaning, our sister website, I should say, Fullness of Meaning Christian Ministries dot mm-hmm. org, fomcm dot org. Uh, if you want to hear some other podcasts or you want to see what Kyle looks like on the videotape, you can always <laughs> look over Dear there. God. There's always yeah, there's always <laughs> a lot of good a lot of good stuff over there as well. Um, yeah. Kyle, give us a recommendation of one of those uh, lectures really quickly before we go. What's I mean, there's we've recommended a couple, but what about one of, a little more obscure? And you're like, oh, this is a fascinating topic that we touched on. Can you think of anyone? Can I be honest with you? I posted uh, a word on words. Uh, the very first one we did, I, I was just mm. <clears throat> enamored by that. Uh, it was our first uh, podcast. Um, I thought we had a great rapport through all of them, but I just I loved. The, the the beginnings of what, what word really means mm, and um, yeah. I, I think that's a good start uh, to for anyone who wants to understand kind of where we're coming from uh, because it and it also it not just covers word like we said here but it it goes into what judgment means and what we're trying to dispel we're, we're trying to explain that judgment yeah. has not is 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 gone the gospel mm-hmm. is is the good word the good spiel and, yeah. and we're not here to present uh, judgment and even the word doom domicile it doesn't mean you're judged to hell it means we are under the dominion of god so i i just i i think that if you would listen and i'm not talking to you all i'm talking to you you the plural uh, i think going back and um just listening to the the season one first episode it's just refreshing one. it's refreshing yeah, it's a lot of fun it's a it's a good pilot episode although yeah. i can come in full circle not as good as the sopranos pilot episode which you should all watch as well it's <laughs> not a shameless plug all right <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you all uh next tuesday same bad time same bat channel uh mm-hmm. thank you ladies and gentlemen and as always uh kyle always a pleasure to thank have you, you. Have you here. thank you my friend thank you my friend